We are continuing our way through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, This is a book in the Old Testament. Remember, it's been uh, written uh, for God's people to prepare them uh, for the coming of God's chosen king and deliverer. Uh, that God's people would always and only hope in uh, the deliverer and king that God himself chooses and that God provides. Um, Where we left off last week, we saw that the people were demanding a king, demanding a deliverer like the other nations. Not one that God has chosen, but one that they chose, that they wanted. Uh, This morning, uh, what we're going to see as we continue through uh, chapters 9 and half of chapter 10 is we want to be on the lookout to see what are the dangers that come when we choose and go after deliverers and saviors of our own choosing, not looking to the Savior and deliverer that our God has chosen and given for us. Uh, So if you would, look with me in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles in your seats, this is on page 231. Uh, We're going to do all of chapter 9 and go down through verse 16 of chapter 10. So it's a little bit longer of a reading this morning. Uh, So if you would, uh, please follow along with me uh, in your copy of God's Word, beginning there in verse 1 of chapter 9 of 1 Samuel. There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, son of Zeror, son of Bacoroth, son of Aphiah, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost, so Kish said to Saul, his son, Take one of the young men with you, and arise, go, and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the, country, the hill country of Ephraim, and passed through the land of uh, Shalashah, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of uh, Sha'alim, but they, did, they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. But he said to him, Behold, there's a man of God in this city, and he's a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, But if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, Here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, Come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servant, Well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, Is the seer here? They answered, He is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry. He has just come now to the city uh, because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. 
For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. As they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, Yahweh had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people, because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, Yahweh told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel said to Saul, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and all your father's house? Saul answered, Am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, Bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Samuel. And Samuel said, See, what was kept is set before you. Eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul rose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to pass on before us, and when he has passed on, stop here yourself for a while, that I may make known to you the word of God. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not Yahweh anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of Yahweh, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that Yahweh has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you shall meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there farther and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. And after that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, uh, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of Yahweh will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. 
Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophesying men met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly about the donkeys and that they had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Let's pray. Father, you are the, the knower and the seeker and searcher of hearts. We pray and ask that this morning you would uh, expose to us our hearts, what, what who we're longing in. Uh, may you point us more firmly to Jesus. Would he be glorified in the preaching of your word? Uh, guide me. And guide all of us to hear your word clearly this morning. In Christ's name, amen. In the movie The Wizard of Oz, Dorothy and her uh, three friends are looking for a deliverer, a savior, someone who can help them in the midst of their struggles and their difficulties. And everybody around them is pointing them to a savior. One that is great and powerful, the Wizard of Oz. And they're on this journey to go and meet this Savior, this Deliverer. And when they come to the Emerald City, they're impressed uh, with its magnificence, with how big it is. As they enter in and they make their way finally into the room where the Wizard dwells, uh, they are again impressed with his power and his might. Fires rising up and flashing all around, his big, booming, deep voice. Uh, they see the picture of his huge floating head in front of them and in front of the curtain. If from how they tremble before him, from his power and his might, uh, at first they think, if anyone, if anyone is able to deliver and save and help us, It'll be this man. Because from the outside, does the wizard not look like the powerful delivering one? We're going to find out, though, and we'll revisit this story later, that uh, all looks great and powerful and mighty on this side of the curtain. But they're going to find out something about that deliverer, the wizard, later. That he's not all that he seems to be outside can be deceiving. So what we want to do is we look in this passage this morning, we're going to see that, that this passage gives us two views of Saul. One, uh, on the, this side of the curtain, what he looks like, how impressive he is. 
And then God in His grace and His mercy is going to give us a peek, insight, and a view behind, behind the curtain. Uh, remember, as we said before, uh, up to this point, uh, the people of Israel, they've rejected God from being their king. They want a king like the rest of the nations who will go out before them, who will fight their battles on their behalf. And they have asked, they've demanded a king from God like the other nations. And lo and behold, in the next chapter, who do we meet but Saul? You notice how he's described this man that we encounter? Look in verse 1. His pedigree, his heritage, it gives this long line of his uh, genealogy, but it comes and it tells us that his father, Kish, is a man of wealth. If we're wanting a king, if we're wanting a king like the, like the nations, this man looks like he's going to be a good fit. One who comes from good stock, who knows how to amass treasure and wealth. Maybe... Maybe if we're, we're following him, the same thing will result for us. If we're going to choose a king like the other nations, this man is a very, very good candidate. In fact, it even gets better. Look at what it tells us in verse 2. This man's son, Saul, was a handsome young man. Not just any handsome young man. Look at how it goes on. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From an outward perspective, this guy was a stud. As everyone looked at him, their eyes were drawn. How good and handsome he looked. Everybody paled in comparison to how Saul looked before him. From the outside, he was a good-looking guy. His, his, we might not say his resume, but at least his headshot would draw your attention and captivate you. But it's not just his looks, it's his presence, his stature. Look as it goes on. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. I mean, this guy is huge. He's built. He's large. If you're thinking, I want a king like the rest of the nations, this guy fits the bill. When you look out at all of the people of Israel gathered, you can't miss him. He's taller than all of them. And that may come in handy, as we'll see later if you're fighting the Philistines, who happen to be some pretty big guys themselves. You see, Saul and this description of him fits in very well with what the nations are looking for when they look for a king. In fact, one of the commentators that I was reading this week uh, cited uh, some writings from a, a neighboring people group. And there was a guy who was put forward to be king in their nation. But when he went up to sit in the throne, his legs were too short and his feet didn't touch the ground in the throne. So guess what? They disqualified him from being king and got rid of him. Saul would have no problem, no problem fitting that bill and qualifying. And notice, as we look in this passage, it's 
That's what the author of the book of Samuel is wanting to draw our attention to, that, that the people are looking at these outward qualities. What Saul looks like on the outside, they're evaluating and selecting him and choosing him based on how the other nations look and select and evaluate who is a good king, who is a good deliverer, who is a good savior. This comes out in a, in a couple of ways. One, it's in the name of Saul himself. The, the name Saul has the same consonants and sounds very similar to the Hebrew word that means asked for. You wanted a king? You asked for a king? Look at this handsome, tall, strong guy who is called asked for. Here he is, the one you've been looking for. The description that it gives where it goes down later and says that he was a handsome young man. That term handsome is used in other contexts to, uh, to translate the word, or is translated by the word choice, like prime choice steak, the one that you would cho- choose and select. Here again, he is a choice young man. That is the people look at him, they're drawn to him. They want to select and choose and ask. This is the one that the people would and do want to be their king. But we've seen there's a problem, isn't there? Because the way the nations choose their saviors and their deliverers is not the way that God appoints and chooses his king and his savior and his deliverer for his people. What about you and me? Where are we in our lives looking for, longing for, and trusting in saviors, and deliverers other than the Savior and Deliverer and King that God has provided. And, and when, we, when we look to these Saviors and these Deliverers, how are we evaluating and determining whether they are sufficient to save and deliver us? Think, uh, think about it. What about a job? Many times we can look to a job as being what would be our our deliverer, our our, our savior to provide for us in the midst of financial or difficult hardship, maybe lead us to the good life. How do we evaluate and decide whether a job is good or not? Many times is it not the way the world evaluates whether a job is, is good, whether it is a sufficient savior and deliverer? How much are you getting paid? What kind of status does it provide for you? Is there upward mobility? Does it, does it get you on a path to have influence and to just make more and more and more cash looking and evaluating this savior or deliverer the way that the world does? What about a spouse? One who will bring an end to your, your longings, your loneliness, uh, your sadness? How do you evaluate whether this Savior, this deliverer will be the one you're longing for. How does the world choose and select? Who looks best on the outside? Who do I have attraction to? Who is their physical chemistry between? Do they have money? Are they going to have connections or, or a family background that gets me out of the circles and the situations that I'm in? 
Will they provide and save and deliver me? Maybe we look for political saviors. And in the same way, think that they will provide the deliverance, the salvation, the, the, the comfort, the ease that we're longing for. How do we determine that? Are they dynamic speakers? Uh, or do they have charismatic personalities? Do they have wealth or power or influence that might move along our agenda or in fact enable us to move up in the political world as well? Think about material things. Do you ever look and think that, man, my life would be so much better if I just had this? Is that not the message of most ads on TV or songs that you listen to? That your life is empty because you don't have this technological advice. If you just had this sandwich from Arby's, oh man, your life would be completely transformed. And how do we evaluate those things? What's newest? What's best? What's shiniest? What, when someone has it, is attention drawn to them? I need that. I want that. My life will be better only if I have it. Or what about significance and being valued in the eyes of other people? Would that not bring an end to all of your troubles? Where are you seeking to find that significance? In your performance? Maybe it's in your outward looks. Because isn't that how the world evaluates and determines significance? Do you look better than this person? Do you make more than this person? Do you have more influence? What neighborhood do you live in? What kind of friends do you run around with? What about the God you are seeking and searching for? Is it one who will make your life easy? Who will provide comfort? And who following this God will not be costly at all? You see, we need to evaluate these saviors that we're chasing after and that we're seeking. Because where God is seeking to move our hearts, where he's seeking to move our attention, is to to push away and move away from uh, these, uh, these saviors of our own choosing and look only and cling only to the Savior and King that God provides. Many times if we look at our hearts and even our prayers, just like Israel's prayer of what we're asking for, what we're pleading before God to bring into our lives, how often... Are we evaluating our desires, our longings, our requests before our God? Is it based on the priorities and the values of our world? Or are we evaluating these things based upon the scriptures, upon the will of our God, upon what he has said is best and most needed in our life? Many times on the outside, these these saviors, these kings, these deliverers offer great, great promises. Maybe they provide for a little while. But notice here as we continue on, God gives us a peek behind the curtain. Insight into 
these saviors and deliverers of our own choosing that may look good on the surface, but we find out there's something else going on. Just like the Wizard of Oz, right? Remember, the second time they go up and and, and see the, the wizard, his big booming voice, his power through his fire and everything that's going on, and Toto goes over and he pulls the curtain back. And what do they see? Not Oz, the great and powerful. This weak, deceptive old man who's pretending. For all the show on the front, all the claims of being able to save and deliver and having the power to do exactly what you're longing for and needing, we find it's all a sham. In fact, Dorothy calls him a bad old man. Because all that they were expecting and hoping for from him is not going to play out like they hoped for. Not like they longed. Not like the rest of the world of the Emerald City proclaimed and says, Oz, the great and powerful, will help you. And we begin to see the same thing here. God is here exposing for us and for God's people originally to look and see this this king, this deliverer, this savior of your own choosing, he may look good on the outside, but there's more to him. And if you hope and trust in him, you will be disappointed. Look at the picture we get. Insight into the character of Saul. Not all is going to go as expected. And in fact, the rest of this the book of 1 Samuel is going to show us the disappointment. But first, notice how it's already showing us here now. As good as he looks, he will disappoint you. Uh, look in verses uh, 3 through 10. Uh, as they recount, remember, Kish has lost some donkeys. And who does he send off to get these to find these donkeys? It's Saul. But notice what we see in this this narrative as it retells us, is we begin to see that Saul lacks worldly initiative. As it goes on, they search for a while, but then did you notice Saul's ready to give up? He wants to go back home. Who is it that moves the search forward? Who is it that has an idea and doesn't want to give up and says, well, maybe we should search here. Maybe we should ask this. It's the servant. It's not Saul the mighty and the wealthy and the powerful. It's the servant who moves the search along, who has the initiative, the drive to move forward, to see this quest accomplished. It's not Saul, the great and powerful. But notice as well, he also lacks spiritual initiative. Look down in verse 5. It it tells us that they came to the land of Zuth. And... Zuth is actually where Samuel's from. And when they, they begin to, to not know what to do, notice what the, the, the servant says. He says, Behold, there's a man of God in the city, and he's a man who's held in honor. He, all that he says comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. And then Saul says, Well, if we go there, what can we bring the man? For our bread's gone. Uh, and then he goes, the servant goes on. Well, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. And then it goes on, and Saul says, Well said, come, let us go. So they went into the city where the man of God was. Uh, Who is it that knows about this man of God? Who knows that everything that he says comes true? Who knows that he dwells in Zuth? 
It's the servant. Now, this is really, really strange. Why does the servant know all of this stuff about Samuel? Know that he's a man of God, that he speaks and represents God, and everything that he says is true. But Saul doesn't. You see, what's strange about this isn't that the servant knows. It's that Saul doesn't know. Remember back over in chapter 3, in verse 20, listen to this description of Samuel. All Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of Yahweh. Well, everybody but who? Saul. It seems Saul has no interest in learning about the prophet God has placed among his people. Saul takes no spiritual initiative to grow and learn and hear from God's uh, appointed man, to hear the word of God, to grow. But his servant knows all about it. In fact, later on, we find that Saul's uncle also knows about this prophet. But Saul seems to have no spiritual interest or drive at all. He doesn't want to hear from God. He doesn't want to know about uh, God's prophet. And here, he's completely ignorant to Samuel's existence and doesn't even recognize him when he comes to meet him face to face. It's not just that he lacks worldly initiative or spiritual initiative, but what we end up seeing is Saul has a complete lack of faith in God. Notice the, the emphasis that the author here in 1 Samuel gives us to let us know that this calling of Saul and his appointment is coming from God himself. Look at the end of chapter 9 in verse 27. What Samuel says to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when he has passed on, stop yourself here for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. Samuel is telling him, I am going to communicate to you, Saul, the word of God. And what does he then tell him the word of God is? In verse 1 of chapter 10, Yahweh has anointed you to be prince over his people Israel, or king designate. He's soon to become king. And you shall reign over the people of Yahweh, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. So God is already telling him, you're going to be the king, and what is part of your role as king? To deliver God's people from their surrounding enemies. And it goes on and he tells him, not only that, I'm going to give you signs, Saul. Not just the word that I've communicated to you, but I'm going to give you three signs so that you will know and it will be confirmed to you that this is in fact God's calling on your life. Do you remember what those signs were? They were very detailed. And it tells us about this bread that they're given and about the, the, the guys that they meet that tell them about the donkeys. But notice... What happens with the third sign? The third sign's interesting. In verse 6, he talks about the, uh, the Spirit of the Lord will rush upon you when you see these prophets, and you will begin to prophesy with them and be turned into another man. You remember what happened when this happens in Saul's life? When he begins to prophesy with these uh, with these prophets, they're in his hometown. Here it's termed differently. It says Gibeath Elohim, but that's Saul's town, Gibeah. And notice what the people who are around down in verse 11 say. 
When all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? From what they know about Saul, his pursuit of God, his faith in God, this is completely out of character. Saul would be one who would be walking closely with our God. Saul would be one who would be expounding and communicating us truths about God's word. In fact, so out of character was this for Saul that this proverb came up. Is Saul also among the prophets? It's like they're ridiculing his spiritual character and who he is. He has no trust in God. And in fact, that comes out here because what Samuel told him is that when this third sign comes upon him in verse 5, you're going to be in your hometown in Gibeath Elohim. And notice, Saul, what you'll see there. There's a garrison of the Philistines. Remember, Saul, you're to be delivering God's people from the hand of their enemies. What has God already told him? I'm going to be with you. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon him. And then what does he tell him to do? As soon as all of these signs have come forth, then what you are to do is to uh, do what your hand, what is before you. Uh, notice in verse, um, verse 7. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. What is Samuel telling Saul to do? When all three signs occur, Saul, you're going to be in your hometown. And look around. The Philistines are in control. They have an outpost there. What's your hand to do? It's to trust in the power of your God, who has empowered and strengthened you. You are to respond in faith and trust in your God and take out the garrison of the Philistines. But what does Saul do? Does he trust and put his faith in the God who provides? Does he respond in light of God's word, of the signs, of the uh, confirmation? No. Look what happens down in verse, uh, verse 14 and 15. When Saul finally comes back home, he says, uh, his, and his uncle asked him where he went, uh, he says that he talked to Samuel. And he's like, oh, well, tell me what Samuel told to you. And Saul tells his uncle, uh, he just told us that the donkeys had been found. Nothing about being anointed by God's power. Nothing about being king. Nothing about his call to deliver his people from their enemies. Saul does nothing. In light of God's promise and provision that he's with him, this great deliverer, this one who looks mighty and powerful, is a big, huge disappointment. He doesn't live up to the expectations of the people, and he provides no deliverance for the people of God. What about us? Do we not see here in Saul really insight into what will happen for anyone and everyone who trusts and rests and looks in a Savior and a Deliverer of their own choosing? It may look good on the outside, but in the end, they are going to find that they're a big, huge disappointment. That all that they do is uh, not follow through with their promises. Uh, Some some of us right now are, are searching for and pursuing after saviors and kings and deliverers of our own choosing. Do you hear God's warning to you now? Give off that search. 
Put it aside. Turn away. These deliverers that are you are seeking by your own insight, by the, by the evaluations of the world, they will do nothing but disappoint you. Learn from the peak behind the curtain that God is showing you. It's not just Saul who will be a disappointment. It's any king, any savior, any deliverer that you go after other than the deliverer and savior that God provides. Some of you know very deeply the sorrow and the pain and the struggle that comes from following after saviors and deliverers of your own choosing. You've been hurt. You've been disappointed. And maybe you're being tempted to go back again. Would you also not hear this warning and interpret your experience based on how God's word is evaluating it for you? That the reason it failed you is because that is how all saviors other than the one God provides operates. They will always and only ultimately be a disappointment. There is only one king, one savior, one deliverer that will always come through. And that's the one that God has provided. One that as the world evaluated him, didn't really measure up. He wasn't much to look at. He was weak. He's a man of sorrows, experiencing great difficulty and hardship. He was despised by the world, rejected by men. Instead of coming in with a kingdom and with power, he came as a servant. He was rejected. He suffered. He died. But Jesus was the king and savior, the man of God's own choosing who he put forth to deliver and save his people, then he will never disappoint. Where are you looking now? What saviors, what deliverers are you choosing? Hear this plea and this call from our God. Look to and only hope in the deliverer and the king that God provides. Jesus is the only one that will never disappoint you, that will always fulfill and follow through with his promises. He will deliver and save and redeem you. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, your word that you've given us as your people. We thank you that you continue in your mercy to show us uh, the insufficiencies of uh, the, the other deliverers that we're chasing after, that we're tempted to follow and that our eyes are drawn to and that our passions and our hearts are drawn to. Now, we pray and ask that, that your word would accomplish its purposes this morning. Show us uh, their emptiness. Point us to Jesus. Strengthen our faith and our hope in Christ. For his name we pray. Amen.